0: Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast, a ministry of Emmaus Bible College. Each episode is taken from a chapel message given here at Emmaus. For more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. All right, good to be with you guys. I sat in those same seats many years ago. I forgot how weird y'all's accents are up here. <laughs> Can't understand anybody. Uh, years ago, I went to uh, speak at a campus it's in Oregon. I was working here at mass. I graduated in 89, and then I worked here a couple years later. Uh, I was the director of recruitment, but there was, I had no staff, so I don't know why they called me the director, but I was the one staff person, and I coached basketball. Uh, and so during summertime, I get to go speak at camps. And this was my second second time at this camp in Oregon. Uh, my wife and I were standing in this little trailer out at the back of the camp. <clears throat> and uh, I spoke one night, and this young teenage girl came up to me afterwards, and she began to tell me about her life and her year. She was kind of walking me through her story. And I don't know if you ever have this. Uh, it may be rude, but like, it, it felt like I was kind of like looking th- through her, like I, I wasn't. I was listening. I think, but I was kind of looking over her head, and and it was. I was struggling in my mind because I felt like I'd heard this before. It felt a little bit deja vuish, and I kept standing there listening to her. I'm like, I did hear this before. It's the same girl that told me the same story last year. I was at this camp. She she listened to me preach. She was inspired to do something. She made it like three weeks. And then she crashed and burned. Same thing that happened with the previous preacher at the camp that she had heard and crashed and burned. And I, I uh, found myself extremely frustrated. So I walked back to a uh, little trailer where Cheryl was. where We had one little kid in there. Frustrated. I'm sure Cheryl was frustrated. She'd been taking care of a baby all day. Um, we were both frustrated. And I started to share my frustration. This ain't working. Preaching at camp ain't working. I'm I'm not knocking camps. Camp's been great to me, but for me, it wasn't working. She she this girl like it. it we gonna keep doing the same thing over and over. And I, so I I I just told sure we got we got to find another something to do. So literally in this chapel, sitting in one of your seats, they were harder. They were made out of wood. They weren't near as comfortable as the ones you're sitting in. Uh, a guy stood up here and preached. Uh, There was one guy named Dave Rickert. I can remember his name. There's another guy named Hal, maybe Hal Green. And they talked about planting churches and how they made disciples by planting churches. So I uh, came home to my young wife, and I said, we got to go plant a church. I had no idea what that meant. So we uh, resigned our job here eventually. We moved to Clemson, South Carolina. I bought a $1,000 Ford Ranger. It was red. It was awesome. It had nice rims on it. And uh, I, st- I don't know how I got it for 1000 I got it for 1000 provision from the Lord. Bought a little trailer and uh, walked behind mower and started a landscape company. Called it Yard Dog Landscaping. It was a perfect name. Dog, D-A-W-G. That's how you spell it. <laughs> and uh, started working to pay the bills. And Cheryl and I started a little church in Clemson, South Carolina, before Clemson was well known for winning national championships. Uh, I was reflecting on this. Cheryl would, uh, we'd get there to this little elementary school where we met on Sundays. And she'd help me set up. Kids be running around crazy. Then she'd rehearse to sing because she was one of the only singers we had. Then she'd, she would uh, greet folks as they were coming in. Then she'd run back and take care of the kids. And then after she got done taking care of the kids, she'd come back because we did a couple songs at the end, sing at the end. And then she'd go home make lunch. A lot of times for everybody who came that Sunday. And that's just what we did. <laughs> we didn't do it. She did it. She was hustling, hustling. She was doing stuff. It was good. It was hard. It was complicated. I still remember her taking my little Ford Ranger one Sunday. We forgot the bread and juice. We do communion every Sunday. We forgot the bread and juice, and it was a stick shift. So she was winding it out on the way back to the house to get bread and juice, and she got pulled over by a police officer. And she started weeping. She's like, "I'm going to get the communion." And she liked going. I was like, it was just, a, it was just this." Uh, he's like, "Right, yeah." Uh, it was this really interesting phase of our lives in our late 20s where, where we were doing what we had learned here. And we finally got to do it. But let me let me just emphasize, if I can, for you: your time here, whether you're working here or whether you're a student, um, is precious because the Lord is establishing who you are. Ephesians chapter 4. There's this interesting start to the kind of the second half of the book. The writer of Ephesians, Paul starts his second half, and he says, I urge you, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Pretty interesting, because this word calling, I think, gets thrown around kind of loosely, and we look for it to be some kind of mystical, amazing calling, because I'm so special. The Lord obviously has something really special for me to do, right? Now, he's, he's, he's saying... Not this call to ministry or call to some vocation. He's pointing back to the first three chapters and he's reminding them who they are in Christ. Let me give you a brief reminder. If you know Ephesians at all, he says that we were adopted as sons. Lady, he says you were adopted as sons. Crazy, right? Because Ladies in those days didn't get an inheritance. So he said, if you believe in Jesus, male or female, you're adopted as sons, so you get an inheritance. You get every spiritual blessing. You're purchased for freedom. You're showered with all kindness, and you're given the Holy Spirit. That's just chapter 1. And so he says in that simple little verse, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. I called you as my children. Now do something. This is a uh, pretty cool season as I, as I looked at my life, which has been a little while since I've been here, right? Uh, more than half a life ago for me now. Lots of things have happened. We've had six children. You guys know one of them. Uh, Elijah was here a while ago, some of some of you old, older students. Um, Cheryl and I have had the opportunity to get to plan a variety of churches, and we lead a large church now. We get to lead a lot of people. But a lot of that, a lot of the fruit thereof comes back to a season where the Holy Spirit, through men and women here, helped establish who we are. Right? Helped us understand who we are in relation to God. It's a very interesting verse. I've been meditating on it lately. I don't know exactly what to do with it. It's in uh, Hebrews chapter 13. It's in this group of verses that almost seem all disconnected. We know better than that, but it's kind of the end of of the writer of Hebrews. He's writing it out in verse 13. It'll go one verse, and you're like, how does that connect the next verse? And he'll just kind of line them up in verse 7. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. Pretty cool verse. Even as it stands alone. In, in, uh, in the context of that chapter, it's got some pretty cool things I'd just like for us to look at for a few minutes that I have this morning. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of the, their way of life and imitate their faith. So there's, there's all kind of moving parts in there. If you're a leader, then there's a lot of pressure in this passage, right, for one, When we communicate the word of God, we have this responsibility to do it well, and evidently, based on the second sentence, our life's supposed to match the words that come out of our mouth. What would really confuse everybody that follows us if our life doesn't match the words that come out of our mouth. But I think particularly for you students uh, to read that verse and think about this season of life and you discovering who you are. This is an interesting verse because it, it, it tells you to focus in on the people who are teaching you the Word of God. Watch them. He actually, uh, in the NLT, I mean in the uh, ESV, says to imitate their faith. Um, I decided, with my few minutes, to go back way back in history. I know some of y'all, like a lot of your teachers, weren't even born when I was here, right? Like so, so in the '80s when I was here, and review what I learned. And how it's played out. And there'll be a couple things that I learned that you're, you're, you're just going to have to think hard about. There's a guy named Keith Leverance. He uh, still lives in in, in Dubuque. Um, he taught me a ton. So when I read this verse, remember your leaders. I think Keith Leverance. And then I think of some of the things that he did and how I've imitated them. Keith Leverance uh, would take me to pray. I asked him, so by the way, you wanna you wanna get this kind of influence? You gotta ask for it. You gotta ask. Give permission for somebody to speak into your life. So I asked him. He goes, "Let's let's pray once a week." So I'd meet him uh, somewhere in the school. We'd sit down. We'd pray, and he would embarrass me by his transparency. Like he would pray and confess sin to me. A nineteen, not he wouldn't confessing to me. He's confessing to the Lord. But he would do it in this conversational prayer. I never heard anything like it. I like every once in a while, I just kind of peek up to see if he was looking at me while he was saying these things because like. You can't say that stuff. I I grew up in church. You hide all that. That's what I was taught. I don't know if they taught me, but that's how I learned it. Like, you hide it. You don't tell everybody what's going on. But he would confess his sins to the Lord in community, and it taught me to tell the truth about myself to the Lord, and then to do it with others. Maybe the most powerful thing I've ever learned in my whole life. Right? I'm going to go ahead and tell you. You want to change your walk with the Lord? Start telling the truth about yourself to him, which means confession and some celebration. You can give a lot of thanks. When things are good, you give them to the Lord. You do it with the Lord. You do it as you go. But if you do it in community with a brother or a sister in Christ, eventually a spouse or a family, it's rich and good. And he, uh, he changed me. So when I see Remember Your Leaders and imitate their faith, that became... Something that I just do. Every church plant that I've planted has a little Keith leverance in it. We pray. You know we pray? We pray the truth about ourselves. Everybody gets nervous. In South Carolina, most of the men that come to our church have never prayed out loud. So when we start teaching them to pray out loud, and they pray out loud, and we go pray the truth about yourself, they are scared out of their mind. Sunday, we had a, a man and his wife. They're probably 30. Went to a Christian college like this. He stood up on the stage and talked about how he'd been addicted to porn since he was 11. Two years ago, it all hit the fan. He's 28, got a child, a wife, and uh, the destruction of that addiction became to come to light. So we went to uh, some counseling and he. he uh, in a variety of ways, took that sin and brought it out into the light. And then we celebrate it as a church, right? Like he's telling this on a mic in front of everybody with his wife, with her hand on his shoulder as we talk about what God has done in his life because he's telling the truth about himself. In 20 months, he's sober. 20 months sober. Praise God. You don't tell the truth about yourself. You can't grow. Right? It's this constant thing that we do at Radius where we ask folks to tell the truth about themselves and we keep talking about how the light will, will actually set you free if you bring the truth into the open. There, there's a, a lot of hard stories to be heard of folks that have had some really ugly stuff hidden at just our church. I know there's a lot of ugly stuff in this room hidden. that <laughs> That can be redeemed if it's brought into the light. And that that beauty of this safety and what, what eventually happens when this is done right in an atmosphere of grace, then it's not that dangerous. Because you're not worried about somebody talking about you. Right? When it's an atmosphere where the truth, when you're when when you tell the truth about yourself and you're telling it, then how can they gossip about you? You already told everybody. It's this, it's this powerful connector inside of a church where uh, lots of fruit can be born. Keith Leverance impacted my family as much as my own father did. So when I read, remember your leaders and consider the outcome of their life. I, I Man, when I was just in my 20s and we, we got pregnant fast, Cheryl handed me this note and told me we were pregnant I fell on the floor, I'm like, what in the heck has just happened, I'm 24 years old, we're gonna have a, I'm not ready for this I'm a sinner right, like, and and I hadn't been good to Cheryl, so I started crying, repenting of all my sins, like, well, I gotta raise a kid now, how in the world am I gonna do this and and, and this very quickly, a picture of the Leverance family, which we're we're pretty different than now, but I needed something to look like, what do I do with this kid, I still remember Leverance telling me, you spank a lot, and you hug a lot, I'm like do that I can do that <laughs> little Isaiah was born into the world and on his one-year birthday I said boy it's coming we've been hugging you but spanking's coming we're gonna we gonna get this done and so for 30 years 30 years I've been spanking a lot and hugging a lot everybody's out of the house now it's just me and Cheryl there's nobody anymore like I guess I'll do it with the grandkids now right like it's this it's this uh thing this gift that he gave me he showed me a family on mission my family looks drastically different than his does now, but to have that picture on the wall as a model, as something I could imitate to get me moving in the right direction, it's amazing. You got that right here. Who you gonna model your your life after? You paying attention? Who you gonna model your life after? It, it'll it'll shift and change because. Your spouse will be different. You'll be in a different part of the world. You'll have a, have a different vocation. Like, there'll be all these other moving pieces. Man, when you have that direction, it's this great gift. And so today, on this stage, I want to remember the leaders. There was a dude here named Dr. Dave Reed. He was super smart. He had his doctorate in ceramic engineering. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was that smart. And, and, and then he went to a seminary that he disagreed with because he wanted to go to somebody where he could argue all the time. Now, basically how I, he I went to seminary. And Dr. Dave, uh, he, was a, he was kind of a jock, so we would do stuff together. He always wanted to play some sport that I wasn't very good at. Like, he wouldn't play any sport I was good at because he didn't want to lose. So we played tennis and golf, things I couldn't do. One day he asked me to play this new sport called pickleball. Maybe you guys have heard of it. He wanted to play pickleball. He didn't know that I would already played it once, which was awesome. And I ran him off the court, Israel. I ran him off the court. It was awesome. He was humiliated. We never played again. We had uh, Dr. Dave died a good number of years ago now. I can still remember meeting in one of these rooms up, up in, in, in the front of the building and uh, asking him a question that came deep from my soul, and it represented me as a self-righteous man. I was proud of who i was not in christ but because of the works and the way i lived and my morality and i was taking a shot at somebody else and i really wanted him to agree with me and he blew me up it was i remember blushing in that classroom blew me up everybody called him dr grace He's going to give you grace on the test. And he was, he was uh, you know, he was a gracious guy. Most people, when I tell the story, like, he got mad at you. Uh, bro, he got mad. Mad is an understatement. He lit me up. He knew that that would destroy my soul. And so, he uh, set me free by confronting me on this thing that most people elevate our morality because I was so clean, because I was living so clean and felt so good about myself. He just saw it and he just nipped it. And I remember going back to my room like, what? I didn't know how I saw that going. I I thought I was going to get Pat on the back and he's going to like, you're the best kid here ever. And and, and instead, he just drilled me and it set me free in some ways that continue to produce fruit in my late 20s and 30s where I really had to focus in on Galatians and fight this deep rooted sin in my life of self-righteousness that compares to others and feels better than them because i sinned less how stupid is that and yet i needed freedom and so i read this verse uh, those who spoke you the word of god i remember dr dave with a lot of fondness he lit me up that day but he still believed in me he gave me some opportunities I remember thinking, man, he's proud of me. That's quite the gift. He did this Friday night Bible study. and He had a bunch of lost people in it. Kind of, when he, when he used to talk about it, I didn't understand what he was talking about. I didn't even have a picture in my mind because I'd never seen anything like that in my whole life. But it opened my mind up to something different, something out of the box. And so now we, we've got a church. We named it Radius with the sole purpose that he, do not ask me a theological question if you don't know your neighbor's name. Our elders are literally instructed. Somebody asks you about our eschatology, you ask them what's their neighbor's name. If they don't know their neighbor's name, we're not talking eschatology. The Bible says to love your neighbor as yourself. How are we going to use words like millennial and not know your neighbor's name? All that from that little seed that he planted. To get us out and about. And then this, this rooms. I didn't know this. I saw it on the way in, Glock, Glock Auditorium. Dave Glock was uh, was one of my professors, and I would watch him teach, and guess what? He taught just like this. You know where? Except he's a little heavier than me, so he had to sit like this. He had to get both cheeks on because he really couldn't reach the floor. <laughs> it wasn't no reaching the floor for him, right? Like it was a and he would say stuff like that. He would shock you with a little statement. He'd make you laugh, and, you, and next thing you know, you feel like you feel like he was just talking to you. He made the Bible simple. I'm sure to some people chagrin, <laughs> but to mine, it just connected. It taught me how to teach the Bible to average people, how to get the complex things that are there and bring them to the simple, which is all that I do, my life. So. The, Those three men—they're all leaders here. I ended up in ministry, so we got all this stuff in common, right? Like, and and I, I appreciate and remember those three men regularly. Lots of other men and women here invested in me in all sorts of ways. I was in homes. I had all this stuff that shaped who I am. Who are you? And who are you watching? He's an older student. He was a senior. I was a sophomore. His name was Bob Delane. I liked him. He was a good athlete. I couldn't quite figure him out. He's from Alaska. All you Alaska people, y'all are weird. Anyway, he's he's from Alaska, and and, uh, he's way more athletic than me, so I kind of admired that. One day, I'm walking down the hall back here. He grabs me in the hall, pulls me in his room. He goes, let's break bread. I'm like, what are you talking about, Bob? He's got some bread it's on the table pre-prepared. I don't remember what we drank. It wasn't actually grape juice. I'm sure it wasn't wine, right? Like I'm positive for that. But it was, it was, it was, it was something. And he said, Let's worship. It was this, it was this amazing moment, really. I, I was shocked. And then then he's like, You gotta say something good about God right now. So we sat there with the bread and juice and we started worshiping God, just with words, talking back and forth. And if you know Bobby's. He's laughing while you're talking. Every good thing you say about God, he was on fire at that point. He was laughing. And so, you know what he was doing? He was, he was in, in one way or another, he was leading me. So when I remember Bob Delane and those moments on, those ha- on that hall, when we spoke the word of God back and forth, he's only a couple years older than me. He was being faithful to it. And he taught me to worship. Was, uh, my best friend in college was Carl Banks. Carl Banks was African American. We lived next door to each other. We were, we were like the oddest couple around, right? I'm from South Carolina. He's from St. Louis. His room was clean. Mine was trashed. We always, when we pray at night, we always pray on his bed because it was made, right? <laughs> we couldn't really find my bed. It was just like that's that's how it works. So we pray in his room. My room stressed him out and we pray together and and um it was rich, taught me a lot about God, taught me, taught me a lot about friendship. Did he mean to? No, we were peers. We were working together, and some of you guys got that working out right now. Some of you got the wrong peers. So you're not going to get that benefit because you chose poorly. Change that today. Change those relationships today. Take courage. I wouldn't trade those decisions for anything. almost... Almost 35 years later, I get the benefits of those men who led me. Remember the leaders? Those who spoke to you the word of God? Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. I want that for you. Let me just tell you this as as an older guy now. We need you. Every one of you. We need you. We need workers for the harvest. We need people who know who they are in Christ, who can do something. I don't know if you know the stats. 7,000 churches in America will close this year. There's 350,000 churches in America, approximately. 7,000 will close this year. 2,600 will be planted. Net loss, 4,400. That's year over year over year. COVID accelerated that pretty drastically. Churches are closing left and right. If you do the math, in 80 years, there'd be no churches. I know that's an exaggeration. But with a 4,400 loss, net loss annually, that's, that's kind of the path we're on. That's the path Europe was on in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And now about 5 or 6% of their population goes to church. We're on the same path, so we need workers for the harvest. We need somebody who knows who they are, who will do something. 80% of the churches in America right now are either in decline or they're plateaued. So you take that 350,000, you take 80% of them, they're not growing in any shape way or form and so the primary message at that church is please stay don't want anybody to leave it really makes them nervous if somebody leaves which is i got saved in a church like that so those i'm not throwing them under the bus but that's just reality and we, we used to teach that here right like the church is a living organism it's got like a shelf life it's going to live for a while and it's eventually going to die the local church and it, it but she is not going to be stopped she is she's never going to die the gates of hell can't prevail against her right she's going to win because of our savior and we need some people they're going to say something other than please stay 16 percent of the churches in america we would we would call them growing put a little plus sign 80 and 16, so we're missing 4%. They're they're growing. You know what people at churches that are growing say? The primary message is, please come. Come with me. Come sit with me. Come learn about God with me. Come enjoy community with me. It's a beautiful thing. So what's the other 4%? The other 4% are reproducing. They got this other category, they call it multiplying. There's zero churches in America that would be considered multiplying churches. But 4% of the churches in America we would classify as reproducing. Not only are they growing, but they're they're also sending. They're they're growing and sending, growing and sending. You know what those churches say? Please go. It's this attitude. This stuff's not my own. I don't need them to stay. I don't just want more people to come. I want people to go. We got stuff to do. But this little season of your life, learning who you are will impact the last long, long journey. And if you can settle who you are, perhaps you can do something about our problem in America. The declining, impotent church in America. Need some young people in love with Jesus, no matter what your job or vocation to take the word to your neighbor just one at a time. I want to do uh, like the scripture commands and uh, pray for workers for the harvest as I remember the men and the women that invested in me and given me an opportunity to participate in the great harvest of Jesus Christ in this nation. Let me pray. Surreal, Lord, sitting in here. I remember sitting in these seats and you speaking straight into my soul at times. Other times, I can't remember a thing that happened in here. I don't know that's true right now with students, particularly. Remember Dave Rickard standing up here, Lord, giving me a gift of what he said on the stage and I had to walk out and just pray and thank you for those moments. I worship you for it and thank you for Chasing after me with a few words out of one man's mouth. I imagine there's a couple people in this room this morning that you want to chase specifically, and I pray, Holy Spirit, you would penetrate their heart and move on them as you will. Thank you for placing us in this time in history. We ask for faith, courage to go. Pray for these students in particular, Lord, that you would make them workers for the harvest that when they leave here, even when they're just home on spring break or home over the summer, that they would do something with all that they've learned. You'd use them to your glory. It's shocking, Lord, that you trust us with this great mission to take the good news about you, Jesus, to the world. But we're honored to be your ambassadors. We love you. We pray in your great name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit Emmaus.edu slash